Hi folks, this is Jack Spirigo with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is June 11, 2013. This is episode 1147 of the Survival Podcast, and uh, today I'm doing a show that's looking at the darker side of the future, a portrait of the coming collapse. What might a collapse look like? And the reality is I don't know. I can only hypothesize that some of the things that might and could happen, and what I can tell you is that I absolutely believe that economically what we're doing is unsustainable. I think anybody that has a basic understanding of mathematics would look at it and come to the same conclusion that sooner or later this giant zit will pop. And even though I'm going to give a couple different ways that I think this could go down, what I need you to understand is I'm not saying this is exactly what's going to happen, including we're going to talk about how some of this government surveillance things and my screw-up yesterday, uh, when I did screw-up yesterday, even though I screwed up how much of it's accurate, um, how this could come back and bite us in the ass during a collapse. Um, it's going to be an interesting look at things today. But what I, I, I again, what I need to preface right from the beginning is Sooner or later, this economy falls to shit. It has to, because we have $16 trillion worth of debt, almost $17 trillion worth of debt. Um, we have unfunded obligations that total more than $150 trillion. Well, we owe that money to ourselves. Yes, yeah, see, that's a problem, though, now, isn't it? Um, that's more money than exists in the world. And But that doesn't mean that it has to be Armageddon, and it doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. It just means that we really don't know, and there's a lot of different ways this could go down in the end. And we're going to examine some of those today. Before I do that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. Sponsor of the day, number one today, Sawtooth Tactical. Sawtooth Tactical has all the cool stuff you need to live that tactical lifestyle. Located in the Sawtooth Wilderness of Idaho, uh, run by veterans, veteran-owned, veteran-operated company. Great stuff, cool things, uh, like the Titanium Tactical Monster Spork. That's one of the coolest little things I've ever seen. It's uh, it's not cheap, but it's probably got $25 worth of titanium in it. Uh, it's it's pretty cool. Magpul mag magazines, Maxpedition bags, you name it, they've got it. Check them out today, sawtac.com. And remember, before you buy your tactical stuff from Sawtooth, go to the MSB if you're a member and get your discount code so you can get your discount on their gear. Next up today, ready-made resources. There's not much more that we can ask a company to do than for them to say, this is our name, our name's what we do, and then they do it over and over again consistently. Ready-made resources is just that. They have all the needs you need, all your res all the resources you need, ready-made, ready to go, point, click, and buy on their website. An amazing customer service. I just had one of my very rare complaints about ready-made resources, some things that maybe weren't handled the way that they should be. I emailed the owner. He immediately took care of it and gave the guy some extra stuff and personally apologized for, for, for making a mistake. That's what I'm looking for in a sponsor, people that step up all the time. Robert's an awesome freaking guy, man. That's the owner of ReadyMade, and I know you can trust him with your business because I trust him with my business, and I trust him with my audience every day. Check him out at ReadyMadeResources.com. And when they're not running a sale, this is important, when they're not running a sale, they also have a deal for the MSB where you can get some free silver uh, when you're buying the Mountain House products. The important thing about not running a sale issue is they can't afford to do it when they're running a big sale. So like last week, they were running a big sale, and people want to know why they couldn't get their free silver. Well, 
it's kind of a one or the other thing. The free silver is a, you know, forever and always, and the sales are a short-term thing, very tightly controlled by Mountain House Corporate. All right, with that wrapped up, I do want to get into the main topics of today's show, but I want to remind you first that I am doing a sale on the Member Support Brigade. TSP Summer is the discount code. If you use that, you'll get a great discount, 30 bucks for your first year of the Member Support Brigade. Again, the discount code TSP Summer. All one word, all lowercase, TSP Summer. Just click on Members, and when you are checking out, You can use the discount code there if you're going to pay by check or money order uh, through the mail. Uh, it's also $30 for your first year. Or if you're paying by silver, we're going to give you 18 months with that code. So it's a really good deal. Uh, check it out today. Uh, go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on Members, Military, Law Enforcement, Peace Corps, Active Duty, and Prior Service. I do give you guys a discount, but right now this is a better deal. So I would take it. Anyway, uh, let's go ahead and uh, get into the main topic of today's show. I want to again apologize for screwing up yesterday. And for those that maybe didn't get back to the site, um, didn't hear the revised version of the show, the show went live for about two hours. So if you downloaded it right away, you got it without the disclaimer put into it. I referenced a website yesterday uh, that I thought was a division of the NSA. It was very, very well done. But right at the bottom in fine print, it says this site is not an actual government site. And on the About page, it says it's a parody website. Um, there's two problems there. One, for me, it's extremely embarrassing to screw up that bad. And there's no one to blame but myself. I did not vet the site well. I just didn't. Part of why I did that is that, it, that with all this crap going on about the NSA, about 15 to 20 people sent me links to that site uh, over the weekend. With that much coming in, I thought, oh, God, it looks real. I mean, but but it's my screw-up. And a couple of you guys emailed me and said, hey, I sent you that site. I'm really sorry. It's not your fault. Um, if I could do it, you could do it. And it's my responsibility to be the, the gateway of the information. And sometimes you get really busy and something looks credible and it looks so credible and it matches everything up so well that you just say it's got to be true and you run with it. And then you find out you feel like a dumbass. And I felt like a complete dumbass yesterday. So once again, my sincere apologies for, for uh, putting that out uh, improperly and getting it completely wrong. And it's no there's no one to blame for that. But me, and I hope for most of you guys anyway, and you guys have been great with telling me this, and, and thank you, because you do feel stupid when you do something like this, but hopefully that shows the integrity that I absolutely always will, when I get something wrong, come out and say, I did it, I screwed up, not, I'm sorry that you were confused, or it's somebody else's fault, or this is everybody's fault but mine, no, I screwed up, so hopefully it does that. My bigger concern, you know, outside of just messing up, I don't like to mess up on the air, and there's a personal embarrassment factor there. My bigger concern is that I got some comments and emails where, like, man, I'm glad, I'm glad that's that was a parody because that was scaring me, and that's my bigger concern that that a lot of you might now think, well, it's not really that bad. The the issue with that parody site is it's not like the Onion. Right or I can't think of the the current or something like that uh, where these sites are clearly satirical. That site is actually based on agency leaks, reports, media reporting. It's just it just says you know basically this is what they're doing, and it's it's accurate from that standpoint. And some of you were maybe a little ticked off that the site was kind of done the way that it was done. And, uh, you know, that 
you you know thought maybe like the the guy that did the site was somehow nefarious or something. The truth is the guy behind that site is actually trying to get this information out and doing it in a kind of clever and creative way. It might work a little better if his disclaimer was a little bit more obvious. Who reads the frickin' footer of a website anymore? Because uh, they pretty much all say the same thing. A privacy policy, contact us. That's about it. Um, or copyright date. But let me read to you an email that he sent me, the guy that, that runs this site, uh, the Domestic Surveillance Directorate, um, <laughs> sent me the following email. Hi, I am the author of the Domestic Surveillance Directorate parody website. I created the website last October because I had a growing list of website links about domestic surveillance and privacy issues that I wanted to share on the Internet. Since I already own the gov1.info domain for my White House parody site, whitehouse.gov1.info, I thought it would be an interesting project to create a website from the point of view of the NSA and then include links both as a reference and a counterpoint. It was never my intention to have people think it was actually the NSA website. I thought the Domestic Surveillance Directorate name uh, and Weird Son at the top banner would immediately tip people off that it was a parody, but unfortunately recent events have made something like Domestic Surveillance Directorate seem actually somewhat believable. It was interesting for me to hear you read the excerpts from my website and hear your response to it. Your reaction was perfect and exactly what I would hope a person's reaction would be, except not the part about thinking it was the actual NSA website. I wrote it in hope that people would feel enough concern about the subject that they would seek more information by clicking on the links on the left side of the page. I'm sorry my website ended up causing you any embarrassment, and I admire the fact that you wrote the explanatory disclaimer instead of just deleting it. Privacy issues and surveillance are important topics, and I hope they don't just fade away as the public becomes interested in the next big move story. So there's a lot of links on that website in the left-hand margin that back up the claims on the site. And, and I think that that site has a lot of value. For instance, I, I said yesterday that they, they're monitoring all your activity in social networks and capturing the information. And um, one of the links on the, um, on the website, the parody website, it goes to a Forbes article. Department of Homeland Security forced to release a list of keywords used to monitor social networking websites. So this is what they're looking for. Domestic security looking for assassination attack. Domestic security drill exercise cops. So if you do a tweet with the word cops in it, it's, it's flagged. Law enforcement, authorities, disaster assistance, disaster management, national preparedness, mitigation, response, recovery, dirty bomb, some of this makes sense, but shooting, shots fired, death, hostage, police, if you use the word police, SWAT, screening, crash, uh, incident, facility, the, and, you know, health, health concerns, uh, toxic, sick, swine, or pork, uh, infrastructure security, if you use the word airport, that's enough. I'm heading to, you know, DFW airport to go to Montana. Just wanted everybody to know. Body scanner, if you're talking about that. Uh, these are just some examples, and there's a lot more. And I actually really encourage you, uh, now knowing this is a parody website, now knowing it, I feel even dumber not realizing it in the first place because it's pretty obvious when you know that's what it is. But the amount of information on this site is really incredible how much is there. But I want to share some other things with you that are going on right now. 
um, that back up the stuff that I told you was happening yesterday. And again, this is vetted stuff. Um, this is on a, a website called StartPage. And I really recommend you consider using StartPage. It is a web search engine that does not record all your information and make it available to the people that are doing this. But uh, I'm reading here on their thing about uh, a Washington Post and Guardian have revealed U.S. government mass Internet surveillance program codenamed PRISM. They report that the NSA and the FBI have been tapping directly into the servers of nine U.S. service providers, including Facebook, Microsoft, Google, Apple, Yahoo, YouTube, AOL, and Skype. And this began the surveillance program at least seven years ago with some clarifying slides. That link is in today's show notes, and you can look at it. Um, how about the fact that I said yesterday that, that um, they were not just recording and getting the information of Verizon phone calls? Well, uh, one of the listeners who uh, responded to my Boy Did I Screw Up post uh, gave us this little gem from June 7th. Uh, U.S. collects vast data trove. NSA monitoring includes three major phone companies as well as online activity. This is in the Wall Street Journal. Let me read just a little bit of it to you. The National Security Agency monitoring of Americans includes customer records from three major phone networks as well as emails and web searches, and the agency has also cataloged credit card transactions, said people familiar with the agency's activities. The disclosure this week was an order by the U.S. Secret, the Secret U.S. Court for Verizon Communications, Inc., Phone records set off the latest public discussion of the program, but people familiar with the NSA operations said the initiative also encompasses phone call data from AT&T and Sprint Nextel, records from the Internet service providers, and purchase information from, uh, from credit card providers. So it's, again, it was a parody website, but the concept that they're recording all of this stuff is absolutely true. But, you know, what... The, the government says is that, well, yeah, we have the phone records, but it's not really, who, you know, what was said or anything. It's just who was called, when was called. It's just basically like kind of like a copy of your bill. We don't actually have the ability to listen to your phone calls. That's, that's not what it's all about. Well, there's a problem with that. See, this is from 4th of May, 2013. Are all telephone calls recorded and accessible to the U.S. government? A former FBI counterterrorism agent claims on CNN that this is the case. So I'm just going to read. Uh, this was about can they get the phone calls of the lady that was married to one of the Boston bombers that was killed and see what was actually said. So this is Tim Burn. Uh, this is Burnett uh, asking uh, this 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 agent uh, named Clemente uh, if that's possible. So. Uh, Burnett says, Tim, is there any way, obviously, there is a voicemail that they can try to get the phone company to give up at this point, but it's, if, it's, if it's not a voicemail, it's just a conversation, there's no way they can actually find out what happened, right, unless she tells them. Clemente responds, no, there is a way. We certainly have ways in national security investigations to find out exactly what was said in that conversation. It's not necessarily something the FBI is going to want to present in court, but it may help lead the investigation and or lead questioning of her. We can certainly find that out. Burnett, so they can actually get that. People are saying, look, this is incredible. Clemente, no, welcome to America. All that stuff is being captured as we speak, whether we know it or like it or not. All that stuff, meaning every telephone conversation Americans have with one another on U.S. soil, with or without a search warrant, quote, is being captured as we speak, end quote. 
Okay. Now, this is not a parody website. This is on the Guardian uh, UK, and the conversation occurred on CNN Live News. It's it's it, again. I'm trying before I go into the concept of why this matters. If we have an economic collapse, I want you to understand that just because I screwed up yesterday doesn't mean it's not true. Um, how about this? The government says secret court opinion on law underlying prison program needs to stay secret. Okay. I'm not going to read this one. I'm just going to let you go look at it if you want to. But understand what this just that that alone means. There is a they say that this stuff is revealed reviewed by the court. Okay, so the prison program is where they're looking at everything you do online. Okay, Facebook, YouTube, Google, all that shit, and capturing that data and storing it and combing through it. And whenever they want to look something up, they can go back to the data because it's all being captured. All right, so. That has to be reviewed by a court every, I think, 90 days is what the president said. All of these programs do. So there's what, what they're saying is there's oversight. There's You don't have to worry about abuse because a judge looks at it and issues an opinion about whether or not it's, it's, it's okay to continue to do it or not. Well, this is a secret court. It's not a public court because, well, you can't know about this stuff. It's a, it's a secret. But then you would think, well, at least we would know the opinion of the court. If the court said, you're not supposed to be doing this, then you would actually like shut it down if the oversight meant anything. But the government says the secret court opinion on the law underlying prism needs to stay secret. So you're not even allowed to know the opinion of the court on whether or not the court says this is okay. And all of these things are going on. And the concept of every piece of data that can be gathered is gathered and stored. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really, again, think you guys should actually look deeply into the parody website with knowledge that is and follow all the links that are on that website. Uh, some of you may be thinking, boy, it'd be great to get the guy that put that site together on the air for an interview. Uh, I offered and he declined. So... Anyway, I tried to do that for you. I thought it would have been very, very interesting. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a Big Brother show. I am going to go through all of this crap, and I'm going to vet it out, and I'm going to bring you the vetted out worst of the worst and tell you how bad it really is. I'm going to do that in the future because I feel like I owe it to you now because I screwed up. Okay, And I feel like there's there's stuff there, and it may be even worse than I painted a picture of yesterday, and it may be even worse than even I think. But I covered it today, one, to again apologize for screwing up, and two, because it plays directly into today's subject. I'm going to leave it for a while, but we will come back to it. So I want to start out with what I think is the biggest threat to the security of the American people and our future today, and that is the absolutely ridiculous way we're running our economy. I'm not going to talk about how stupid Federal Reserve policy is. I think most people who listen to this know that. I'm not going to talk about how money is created. I'll do a show on that again someday, but there's plenty of information on the Survival Podcast about that if you want to know, and how the money is only backed by debt. I'm going to assume that most people that listen to this show are aware of the fact that we're, we have bills right now and bills that are already committed to in the future that we can never pay. I do want to talk about the unfunded obligation thing just a little bit because I think it's the bigger problem than just the bottom line uh, debt. And I think it's very important because I think most people don't understand 
what an unfunded uh, obligation or an unfunded liability is. Um, this is everything that we already know we're going to have to pay for based on everything that's already set up. So this is with estimates from the Congressional Budget Office, which is a nonpartisan group that just says, this is how much this shit's going to cost, guys. When we look at Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and all of the programs that this government is already non-discretionary spending, okay, we've already committed the funds, even though much of this money doesn't have to be paid out until 2020 or 2025, we've already said and made a commitment that these funds will be available, all right? That number today is $124 trillion, and I'm getting that off usdebtclock.org. It gets scarier because you can actually go through time with usdebtclock.org, and right now I've reset it to what it will look like in 2017, and it's $150 trillion dollars. And to kind of give you the exponential curve that we're on with this, the number in the year 2000 was 54, or I'm sorry, um, they didn't even have it. They don't have it. It's not there. They, they did not post it in the year 2000. Let me see if I can find it in 2008. Let's see if they had it post there. Maybe they don't have it on the past clocks. I'm waiting for it to load. I'm doing this in real time. No, they didn't put it there in the past. I'd have to go somewhere else to find that. But uh, I can tell you that it was less. And and the reality is when we look at the 2017 projection, we might as well say that's the number today. Because, well, again, what we're talking about is already committed future obligations by the government. And if we know that number is going to be $150 trillion, well, we know that's the case. And a lot of that money is Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. Okay, and Obamacare will go in there too, and prescription drug benefits, and all of that other crap. All right, and that results in a liability per taxpayer. So every American that actually pays tax is on the hook from now and into the future for $1.2 million. And yes, it's only money we owe ourselves, but it's also the money that would be used for old people to like not starve to death. And it's the money that they already put into the kitty. These older folks are not sponges or leeches. They worked their ass off. They did what they were told. They paid in year after year after year. And yes, there's some people in the beginning of the program that only worked for five years and got a full retirement. They're not our problem. They're long gone and long dead. Okay. And the, the big basketball of people coming through put in a lot of money. The big basketball of people coming through and retiring now have been paying in since the 80s when the cost went way, way, way up on both sides. So what happens when that money can't be paid? It, it, it begins almost like you pull a thread out of a, 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 of a towel and it just keeps unraveling at that point because that's a huge portion of the economy. There's, there's a lot of people in that block. Um, give you the uh, U.S. retirees by 2017, 51 million people out of 328 million people living to at least some degree on that money that we already know. Again, that number is number a number we know we don't have. I, I can't overstate that enough. And then on top of this, 
the U.S. national debt by this day in 2017 at current rates will be $22.9 trillion. So to me, the most likely thing that starts the chain is that comes a day that we find it impossible to overturn, to turn over the debt on maturity. That we get to a point where the only way we can do it, and we're already a large part there. The largest buyer of debt today in America is the Federal Reserve Bank itself, which is buying the money with new money it's creating out of thin air. But when you get to a point where you can't turn it over and you got to do it every single day and you're printing money every single day because it's the only way to turn the debt over, then the confidence in the currency begins to shred itself. At the same time, we have to understand what I've been teaching you guys for years now is the rest of the world knows this is coming and they're doing everything they can to detether from the dollar. And about the only people that aren't really working hard to do it, that are right in this mess with us and playing the same stupid game is the Europeans with the Euro and the European Central Bank. The dollar and the Euro are tethered like good friends and they're probably going to sink together. And what's gonna, but what's different is there's a much bigger opportunity in Europe for nations to go back to their old currencies because they haven't been locked into a financial republic for as long as we have. This nation's been a financial republic, and you know, I'm not even talking about the republic itself, but the financial component. We've been a financial republic since we became a republic at the end of the Revolutionary War. And every state that's been added to the Union since has been part of that financial component of the republic. In other words, a common currency accepted in all states. And the only break we took from that was the Confederate states during the war between the states. Which, by the way, wasn't a civil war. A civil war is a war over control. It was a war of secession, just to be technically accurate. So we've had that long history. It's very hard to detether for the state, the state of Florida to say we're just going to go to Florida money. It's, it's hard and unconstitutional unless they do it based on gold and silver. And constitutionally, that's the one way our states can work. But it's a difficult thing to do in the current climate. Whereas it would be much easier for, you know, France to just go back to the franc. It really would. It would just, just be a lot easier. A lot easier for them for a lot of reasons. They've got their own problems, but... That financial switch, and some nations have really looked at doing it already, and some nations are probably going to have to do it, like Greece and Italy, are probably going to have to leave the euro at some point, in spite of the fact that everybody's trying to hold them hostage and make them stay in and continue to destroy their economies. So the rest of the world, like China and India and Russia, has gone, yeah, we need to, to make sure that we're vested throughout the world in real tangible assets. And when that part of the world gets to a point where it says, we just don't want to buy U.S. debt anymore. Not even a little bit anymore. We're just done. We just don't need it. We'll buy each other's debt. You know, We'll loan each other money. We'll have commerce directly, like I've been telling you about. And at the same time, you have a European implosion, and we can't turn the debt over. That's when it's done. It doesn't matter so much how big a debt is, it's can you service it. In other words, can you pay it? If you can pay the bill every day, the, the debt could be $50 trillion. And if you can pay the bill every day and you remain the world's reserve currency, then you can get away with it. No one would have thought we could have gotten away with it up to $16, $17 trillion where we're at now. But we have, and it's still working. So the way that it tips is the rest of the world detethers and gets to a point where they don't need us and, and we can sink without taking them down. 
and they know that it's inevitable, when they're fully detethered and we can't service our debt, then the bells start ringing, everybody starts screaming, it's a meltdown on Wall Street, it's 2008 all over again, but God, is it worse? And from there, it doesn't come back. It, it never recovers. At that point, the only way out is the rebuilding. Let's talk about what happens in the next few days after this realization sets in. A lot of people hold their stocks and mutual funds because they've been told and conditioned forever to do so. They hold the market stability long enough for the, 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 the wealthiest people in the market to liquidate and get out the door. And stupid people are still buying. And when nobody will buy anymore, then it falls through the floor. And the, the wealthiest, most elite people will have hedged to a point where they're going to rape and pillage the market at that point one last time on their way out. Most of those people, by that point, are not physically located in the United States any longer. They have a foreign passport, and I'm talking about the big-time financial elites, and they're gone. And most of them will follow the program that I just revealed to you about buying American assets through foreign corporations so they can maintain financial control over the remaining intrinsic wealth in America. Within two to three weeks after this happens, my best guess is that people are still getting Social Security checks, but people can't buy much with the money anymore. You go into a hyperinflationary curve in the neighborhood of 20 to 40% per week for a while. And eventually you get to a point where even that has to stabilize, where it just becomes uh, a, a point of ridiculousness. Either you're going to take money or you're not. And, and there, there's, it's not going to be the wheelbarrow full of money for a sack of potatoes. It's just not. Um, that's not how this thing will most likely play out. But what happens then is rioting. And rioting all over America. And one thing about Americans is when we do a riot, we do it, we do it right, you know. And I don't mean it in a good way. I mean, we know how to burn shit. We know how to break shit. We know how to smash shit. We know how to kill people. We know violence in America. And you, you're not going to see like, well, just a, a riot in Boston or just a riot in Los Angeles. You'll see widespread rioting when this happens. And when this happens, you don't want to be anywhere near an urban center. You, you really don't. Um, you, you may not want to even be uh, in near any really close suburbs. Uh, I don't think this is a long-term Patriots-to-come-and-collapse-style bit of rioting, though. What you will see happen very, very quickly is the jackbooted thugs will be sent out in force. Uh, we will likely have very, very little of our military deployed around the world at this time. We will certainly have enough of it here to put the kibosh on things. By the time this happens, the, the National Guard and Reserves would have already been called up. And when people say things like, well, our troops won't fire on American citizens, they don't understand the context of what will be going on. You'll be talking about situations where people are committing murder and arson and vandalism and burglary and assault. Right, And you have to ask yourself, if you witness somebody doing things like that, would you use force to stop them? And I think most of us say yes. You know, Even those, those of us like myself that are very much of the non-aggression principle. I don't want physical conflict with you. 
under any circumstances whatsoever. I don't want to physically harm or force another person to do anything. That's my libertarian philosophy. I really believe that. Until you aggress upon me or aggress upon someone who's weak, and I have to use force to intervene. That's a very human instinct. And if you send soldiers, especially military police and infantry, into the middle of Los Angeles, in the middle of a riot that makes Rodney King look like a day at Disneyland, you bet they'll use force. And so will the SWAT teams and the riot teams. And they have these armored vehicles in the hands of local law enforcement all across the country. The the National Guard of Texas and, and, and Alaska combined probably have more firepower than Nazi Germany did during World War II when you look at the total destruction they could do in a day. And a crowd of people is pretty easy to disperse from a point of safety. And these riots will be clamped down on, and we will see martial law immediately. Immediately. Not 24 hours later. When this hits ahead, every single senior member of a presidential staff, senior member of congressional committees, etc., will know what has happened. I am not some genius to configure this out. This is a logical progression, and this is pretty much what has always happened. And the government in these situations will use any and all means at their disposal to put a lid on things from two aspects. One, they don't want to give up power. And, and two, on some levels, they have to. What would you prefer the response be? Let L.A. burn to the ground? I know if you don't live there, it's easy to say, screw that place. But seriously... You know, let New York burn to the ground, New York City. Let let Jacksonville, Florida burn to the ground. Let Houston, Texas, Dallas, Texas burn to the ground. Atlanta, Georgia, Detroit, Chicago, Seattle. I know some of you are picking some names and going, well, that wouldn't be that bad. Philadelphia, Pittsburgh. But what about all of these? What is the what is the impact in an already financially crippled nation of these major cities being leveled, which is the outcome if you don't intervene? So intervention has to become quick and brutal. So much so that people fear doing it. And the people of this country who won't do it, who won't go out and do the damage, will, will be not only allow it to happen, they will be grateful for the government doing it, even if they disagree. And they'll put a lid on it pretty, pretty quick. At this point... Some states are really going to look at secession hard. Some will have probably already have a plan laid out to do it. Uh, at this point, there's a potential for some states to not even secede, just kind of fall away. If you look at the breakup of the Soviet Union, a lot of the republics that formed out of the, the breakup did not you know, go through some major, you know, decision process and, 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 and oppose and then, you know, have to fight a war of independence. Many of them just kind of fell out. The central powers knew that it was over, that the days of the dominance they had were gone. And that what they needed to do was understand that the real, real important component was holding the Russia federation together and and just pick and choose where they could hold things together at and just pull everything back in and try to hold that piece together before it all fell apart and okay so the ukraine goes lithuania goes etc kazakhstan goes georgia goes and maybe we'll try to suck those back in at some point but right now we don't have any time for that 
And that very well could happen in America. And the states that are actually best suited for it are going to be the ones that will have the hardest time doing it because they're the ones that they can't afford to let go. And then there's going to be a mentality of if we let any of them go, they might all go. And then there's this reality, and I don't say this just because I live here, but the state that can most likely do it and get away with it is Texas. And there's, there's, there's three main things that Texas has that make that possible, and really it's four. One, our National Guard is a major military force. And our reserves, which technically fall under the U.S., you know, U.S. federal forces, if they were to decide not to go, is a pretty damn big army as well. And the two of them together are capable of defending Texas as a nation. I'm not saying they should. I'm not saying it's a glorious thing. I'm just saying the, the reality is there. The next thing is we have enough natural energy sources to keep the state running. And third thing is we have the electrical grid under our complete control, and we can keep our power on without the rest of the country. Because if you went into this situation and a state like Texas said they're leaving the, the, the nation, it would be very hard to start rolling tanks in out of Oklahoma. It would be hard to get the military personnel to follow your orders, and it would really harm you in the rest of the world's image at a time when you were begging anybody you could possibly get for help. But you could sanction. See, that would be the way to start sanctioning a state that, that misbehaves. So let's say Florida. Florida's got a lot of assets um, and, and could pull this off maybe as well on, on some concepts. But they don't have their own electrical grid. So what's to prevent them from just shutting off all the power in Florida? Just cut the Florida grid. And then how easy is it to force them back? And it's one of the reasons I think Texas has the greatest chance of doing this because a tyrant in that place who was trying to prevent it would look for what is the what is the way I can use force with the least blood to prevent this? Because it's not like putting down some dissidents. This is a state, you know, republic with a lot of power and a lot of its own resources. And it's not as simple as getting rid of a group of people you don't like. It, it really isn't. And you've got a hundred different politically complicated components to that. Um, so it's definitely something that states will look at. Many will, tr I think some will f try and fail and some will just get left out. Like we don't need you. So we can't afford you right now. And those may be some of our, our Western states in Montana, Wyoming. I mean, just there's only a million people there. They don't really contribute a lot to the national economy. There's not that much resource there in the way that we look at things right now in this crisis. Maybe we'll suck them back in later, but right now we can't afford to mess with it, especially if they decide they don't want to be here. We just don't, don't have the, 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 the force and the power and the money to deal with it. So, I, I'm not going to try to tell you, well, these states will, these states will. I'm just going to say those are some of the dynamics that might play out. And there's something, you know, something could happen during this that changes which states are valuable and worth retaining or possible to retain. We, we really don't know how that'll work out until it happens. Um, the next thing will happen, though, is the government will immediately issue new money. They'll come up with a new currency. They'll have the new currency ready to go before the old currency completely fails. They, they'll already know what they're going to do. And the way that they will enforce the revalued currency into acceptance is they will accept it if payment of taxes. 
If the government will accept money for the payment of taxes, the money will be accepted within the economy. It may not work out as well as they had planned, but the average dumbass will just simply go, okay, this is the new money, then that's the way it is. And what will likely happen is they'll make everybody deathly afraid that your bank account's going to say zero tomorrow. And let's say your bank account says $50,000. What will then happen is when this deal's made, your bank account will still say $50,000. But it will be $50,000 new dollars, and you will rapidly find out that money will not buy what the other money did. It will maintain relative currency strength far better than it will re retain international uh, currency strength. In other words... If something is in America, made in America, available in America, and in large supply, then it will trade hands in America fairly evenly. But if it comes from outside of the country, if we rely on imports for it, it is going to be very, very expensive very, very fast because the rest of the world's not going to want this garbage money that we've created out of thin air, a new version thereof that will no longer be the, the world's standard for money. And at that point, The only choice the government is going to have is to grab as much shit as they can and put it into the marketplace and force price controls on it and get commerce going that way. So they'll use the National Defense Authorization Act and other things like that to seize assets and force them into the economy at a controlled price. This is a lot of that type of thing was done in Argentina. And I'm saying they might go out and actually seize agricultural production. Just seize it. Just take it. Sorry, you don't have it anymore, Mr. Farmers. It's gone. And put it into sale in the country and fix the price to control the inflation of the new money. This is the type of thing that they'll do. Everything would start to get very, very draconian very, very fast And we would have two types of people in government operating this way. One, the psychopathic, maniacal bastard that doesn't care and just wants to maintain as much control for themselves as possible. And the vast majority of our puppet governors who would really think that this is terrible, but they're doing what they have to to preserve the nation. That would be the vast majority of evil would be done under the thought of, I'm doing what I have to, even though I don't want to. And as the, the path is walked, the worse it becomes, the more corrupted the person on the path will become. Power corrupting and absolute power corrupting absolutely. And the government would take more and more power during this time. In that period of time, there would be people... You might imagine what type of people these might be who would be doing somewhat okay, who had prepared for this, and who saw this as an opportunity to reclaim America for what it was. And they might start saying, it's not right that you took that man's production and put it into the market. And this, this type of money is what got us into this problem in the first place. And they might be listened to a little bit more than they are right now because, well, the people that have been saying that all along said this was going to happen and you said they were crazy. So maybe they would have a little bit more credibility and maybe they would start to win some popular support and maybe they would start to challenge some elected officials if elections hadn't been suspended. If elections had been suspended, they might get very vocal. Sooner or later, you might have a popular revolution on your hands of people that want to take the country back and are not willing to live with a boot on their neck. At that point, the people in charge might see them as a problem and might want to shut them up. And might want to intimidate them. 
Some of them they might want to find a reason to arrest. Some of them they might want to find a reason to relocate. Some of them they just might want to go away. But how would they find them all? Would it just be the ones that are talking the loudest at the current crisis? Or would they maybe decide that the easiest thing to do is just find out all the people that have been dissenters all along and just start figuring out how to either round them up and get rid of them or maybe just make them shut up? Maybe just leverage them. Maybe just install a climate of fear. See, it doesn't always have to be a gulag or a concentration camp for the government to use this type of information and where would they get it? Let's say this all happens about 10 years from now, which is a very realistic timeline in my view. And for 15, 20 years at that point, they've been collecting every bit of data that you are using through the prison program, which we know is real, uh, through phone records and things like that. And let's say... Um, somebody said we need to start finding the people that are most likely to cause dissent and, and doing whatever it takes to keep this thing together because it's for the good of the nation. Don't you think that all of that data might come back to bite us in the ass? Because here's what I had people tell me about this. Well, if anything's really private or really critical, just don't do it electronically. You know, don't do it on a cell phone. Don't do it on a phone. Do it face to face. Do it in a handwritten letter. You know, don't and and just things that might be like that. Or make sure you have you know encrypted services like hush mail for certain things and all. See, this is the, that's not the problem. The problem, well, the fact that it's unconstitutional is a problem. I'll get back to that. But the problem is many of the things you might say or do today that even, you know, the president himself doesn't really give a shit about, no one really cares about, well, that doesn't mean the people in charge tomorrow might not care. See, there's a reason that we prevented this type of thing from being done, this un, un, unwarranted uh, surveillance from being done for so many years. Because... Once a person in power has the ability to use a tool, sooner or later they're going to use it. The other thing is you have to understand the mental condition that's being done of the American people right now. The average person who was even somewhat outraged when they heard about this phone tapping, wiretapping, has heard little bits of it for so long now and has been told privacy is only an illusion now and all, and is really thinking, I don't really have anything to hide you know, I said yesterday, this could be the waking of a sleeping giant. It could also be a giant snooze. The average person is being conditioned to believe that this type of surveillance is just the reality of the modern world. That's pretty much what the president said in his speech. And if you let, you know, the Fourth Amendment go out the window, the Second Amendment go out the window, or the Fifth Amendment go out the window, if you just start letting these things go out the window then what happens to the rest of the Constitution? We see, we're heading into a place where we'll tell you what's constitutional. So the president came out and just said, well, it's all constitutional. That was in his speech. He said, we looked at it, and it's constitutional. What's the problem? Well, see, it's not the, the president is not supposed to be the one that decides if something's constitutional or not. The, the courts are. And I also want to explain to you the way that this republic is supposed to work, because we have sheriffs now saying things like, you know what? You know that firearms law that Maryland passed? I'm not doing it. I'm not enforcing it. I just won't enforce it. And people are saying, well, that's vigilantism. No, that's Republican. That's what that is. And I don't mean the Republican Party. I mean a Republican government. This is the, you learn about the systems of checks and balances in school. 
And what's dying is that system because it's not what they teach you. They've taught you it for so long. You believe the system of checks and balances is legislative, judicial, and executive and the three branches of government having checks on each other. That's only the beginning of the checks on power. You know, the Congress has to pass the law, the Senate, uh, or the, the, the President has to execute it in, uh, into force, and then the court can review it, determine its constitutionality. And any one of those three branches really has the power to shut it down. The President can veto it, the Congress can override a veto, the Congress can pass a, a, an act repealing a presidential directive with a 66% majority. Um, there's all, and the court can smack down any of it. Uh, the Congress can pass a new law that says the court's wrong in most instances, unless it violates a core component or amendment of the Constitution directly, in which case the Constitution can be amended. So all of that has this nice little three-branch-of-government system of checks and balances, and they teach us that in school because they don't want us to know about the other checks and balances. Well, the next check on the system is will law enforcement officers have sworn an oath to the Constitution enforce the law? That's also a check on the system. If law enforcement won't enforce the law, And the people of the society won't have them removed for not enforcing the law. They won't bring formal charges. They won't sue. They won't vote the sheriff out of office. They won't put in a new district attorney. They just say, you know what? We don't care that they don't enforce. We're not, we don't want it enforced. Well, that's a check. That's a check on government. And it's designed to work that way. And it's why the highest law enforcement officer in a county is the sheriff. And it's why he is an, an elected official. The sheriff is generally not somebody that just gets a point. It's not like a police chief. Like you were in, you're the guy that's been here the longest. You got the best track record here. You're promoted to chief, right? Sheriff is elected and accountable directly to the people. If the sheriff starts saying something's not going to be enforced, it doesn't prevent the police chief of the county seat from enforcing it in 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 the, in the city. But it doesn't mean the sheriff's going to say to his deputies, "Well, if you see this going on, I don't want you to do anything about it." You know, and and it might end up someday with a sheriff and a chief, or a sheriff and a federal officer in conflict over whether or not that law is going to be enforced. That leads to some good things and some dark things, depending on how it goes from that point forward. We've already had sheriffs in certain counties in the West say that if federal agents come to enforce certain things, their deputies will meet them at the county line with weapons drawn. And that's not even new. There's been stuff over land grazing issues and things like that with federal interference. In Arizona, where a sh I don't remember which sheriff it was, but it said, my deputies will meet, him, meet them with rifles if they try to do this. That was several years ago. So the, the mentality's there. So will the law enforcement community enforce that law? That's a check. Will the people obey the law? Will the, and I don't mean like, well, somebody will always break a law, but will the people obey the law at all is a check on a law. So if, if they say, well, everybody had to have health insurance with Obamacare in America, or they'll be fined and not, you know, they'll be fined in their taxes. What if everybody just said, I'm not doing it collectively? Or 80% of the country just said, I'm not doing it. You know what? I don't even want insurance anymore. If you tell me I have to have it, no, I know that's not going to happen. But my point is, how would you, how would you deal with 80% of society just not following a law? So the people themselves are a check if they choose simply to ignore a law. The next check is trial by jury. Why do you think it's guaranteed in the Constitution? Trial by jury of your peers. Why not a panel of judges? Why is it a jury of your peers? Because you're the final check on the system. You're able to just say, yeah, sure, he broke the law, but I'm going to vote not guilty anyway, and there's nothing you can do about it. It's called juror nullification. It's also a check on the system. And then we have the check of the republic itself and the member states and freedom of movement, where if a state becomes too oppressive 
and the federal government allows the oppression or even encourages it, that the citizenry of one state of the republic can simply move to another. These are all checks and balances on the system, and they would all start to play out in an economic collapse. They would pass a law that says you can't trade in silver and gold, and then somebody would do it, and then they would say, well, I'm not guilty, and they'd say, well, yeah, you are. We caught you doing it. They'd say, well, I get a trial by jury, and the jury would go, not guilty. Because it's a jury of your peers. And you can't even afford to run all these court cases. So then you just start running people through uh, without a trial. And then you're violating the continent. Now people start fighting about it. And you see how it all falls apart. So at some point, to stop the dissent, you have to shut up the dissenter. And I know when you think about the gulags and the deathless under Stalin, or the murders under Mao, or the concentration camps under Hitler, and every tyrant that's ever raised up and started either imprisoning outright or putting to death their own citizenry and went unchecked and committed atrocities, you think it cannot happen here. Let me tell you something. Every single place that ever happened, the people that lived there thought it can't happen here. Every single time. Every single place, it can't happen here. The danger is not, so see, this is what I, I really think we're making a huge mistake uh, uh, with, especially the conservative wing of the American people. That Barack Obama is responsible for all this. The system is responsible for this. You don't think Mitt Romney would be doing this? Really? Do you think that Mitt Romney would have took, because this shit was going on before the election. Do you really think if Mitt Romney would have took office and they would have said, Mr. President, let me brief you on how we're monitoring uh, all Internet activity and every phone call in America and all of the things that we're learning from it and how it empowers us to enforce the law and, and head off terrorist attacks and look at all this stuff that we're doing and how much power there's here. Do you think he would have said, you know what, we're just going to shut all that down? Do you think they would have just shut down the data center in, in Salt Lake City, Utah? Just shut it down? No, of course not. I'm not saying Obama's a good guy. I'm not saying that he's not part of this. I'm just saying that the system itself is the problem. And it's not what Barack Obama's going to do with this information. The person that's going to cause us the greatest pain using this, this crisis and this information collectively, we don't even know who they are yet because they're not yet president. We, they might not even be a notable name yet. Keep in mind how insignificant Adolf Hitler was 10 years before he became the leader of Germany. How completely and totally insignificant he was. And think to yourself, what might even a good man do who wanted to save the nation, who really felt it was falling apart, and felt that people that were saying what we're doing is wrong were part of tearing it apart? Now think of what an evil man in the same situation might do. And this is why this stuff can't be allowed to be assembled. Because of course it will be used in a crisis. Of course it will. And this is not going to prevent us from being the victim of terrorist attacks. It's not. It hasn't. Well, they say it has, but they don't say, well, look, we caught this guy, we caught this. Show us. Prove it to us. Well, that would give away critical... No, it wouldn't. No, it wouldn't. It absolutely would not. Right? Because we already know what you're doing. 
We already, look, do you think the terrorists are so stupid that they don't know what you're doing? Really? I mean, do you think they don't know that you're monitoring Facebook and Twitter? Do you think two Al-Qaeda operatives in California are really tweeting their plans back and forth with each other? No, it's ridiculous to the absurd. It's, it's, it's the collective intelligence that can be used at some point to create an entire block of people that need to be reviewed. You don't think the government will abuse power? What have they done with the IRS? Let's say the country is cash-strapped, and they want to find all the people they think might not have paid all their taxes. Well, we'll just take a look at all that data and see who bought expensive shit over the last few years. I just got a new boat. Ah, you're on the list. Audit time. See, it doesn't always have to be a gulag, right? Because the government's doing this shit now. I got a report today. There's an assessor, and I don't remember what state it's in. It was Wisconsin, maybe, Illinois. I don't know. doesn't really matter. Tax assessor goes out to assess the value of your property. Now wants to be allowed into your property. So generally, tax assessments are done by comparables. What was sold on your street recently, how much it's sold for, general analysis, and how much land you have, and how what year your house was built in and stuff. But no, no, no. Now they want to come inside and look around. And, and, and basically say, well, it's completely constitutional, and if you don't let us in, we'll just have to take our best guess and we'll guess to the high side. So you got this little tyrant, this little thug tyrant woman who's basically saying, well, if you don't let me in, I'll just say it's worth as much as I think as it's worth. So what's that? That's a threat. That's the use of force. Let me in your house. What do you, what are you going to learn about my house? that's really going to affect the real value of the property from a tax assessment standpoint. And how has this been done without this all over the country for so long? They want more money, so they want to come inside the house. What if they didn't have to come inside the house? Well, how would that happen? What if they could just pull up your file, everything connected to you, and put together a pictorial image of your property based on all the pictures that you posted on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and Flickr and stuff like that. And make a determination and just raise your price. And then you say, well, that's not the way it really looks. And they say, well, let us in. We want to look around. See, all of these things are in our future if we allow this to continue. And an economic collapse is where they happen. This, is, this happened in Argentina. They started going back through purchase records. Who bought expensive stuff? Let's look at them for taxation. Much more closely than everybody else. And there's many different ways it can go wrong. There's many different ways we can go off the rails with the economy here. We can go into complete, total desolation overnight. Hyperinflation. The whole country falling apart. Riots that even with the boot are hard to put down. Without rule of law in many rural areas of the country and certain urban areas of the country that are just kind of cordoned off. Or it could be a much softer collapse. It could be a lot more like the Great Depression. Probably worse, but a lot more like that. But things are generally held together. But we have the return of Hoovervilles and things like that. And a million things in between those. And we really don't know what's going to happen exactly But we do know the people in power are going to try to stay there. And we do know they'll use every resource they have. And we do know now that that resource includes just about everything you've ever done electronically in your life, including your phone conversations. And do you not think that people like the NSA and the CIA and the FBI could run a computer program 
that could just look for words in phone conversations and scan a thousand phone calls a second and just flag the ones that need to be flagged and maybe even build another computer program that does the second level of verification on its own and then spits out the third level to a human to review. An IRS agent, tax assessor, counterterrorism agent, a newly appointed member of the Directorate of Homeland Reeducation. You don't think this stuff can happen in America? Then you're not a student of history. And it could be that bad, worse, or not that bad. That's the important thing to understand here. It's When you start hearing people tell you this is exactly what this stuff's going to look like, you're, you're, taught, you're listening to someone that either believes their own bullshit or they're a liar. Because you can't know. None of us have a crystal ball. But we, we need to know about these things now so that we can prepare for a future where the only choice you're going to have is to be able to look after yourself in your own communities. And to be able to stand up to tyranny. Because we're going to all have to stand up. And we're not all going to stand up as soldiers. There's going to be different ways that we have to stand up. Different times that we have to stand up. And we won't always be standing up to federal thugs. There'll be a lot of times where maybe it's going to be necessary to stand up to local authorities. Because we've seen the greatest abuses have come recently from townships and counties and cities and HO freaking A's. All in power know the rule of not letting a crisis go to waste. Not just Rahm Emanuel and, 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 and Barack Obama. Those of you that continue to make this about Obama are missing the picture. It's about tyranny. It's about the loss of our rights. It's about the loss of the heart of America. And it's about the use of force by one human being on another. Barack Obama just happens to be the guy with the most power right now. Don't believe the conspiracies. He's not going to get a third term. There'll be a new ass clown in charge, and he'll be just as bad or worse, regardless of the marketing around him. Then I'm going to give you the good news and the bad news. This economic collapse is probably, at this point, the only thing that could derail the coming police state. It's the only thing that could just tear it apart, where they can't afford to do it anymore. Where the people that they're paying to do it don't care. Where everybody just decides, you know what, we have to, we have to put our own lives back together. Well, I don't have time to worry about whether this guy down the street, you know, is, is a dissident or uh, whatever. But it's also the thing that could most empower the coming police state. This can go two ways when it goes down. You can get the most oppressive police state society ever created. Or you can have it dissolve and be restored to the republic the dream that was promised that was America. And it's up to us. And that the thing is, if there's 20,000 of us that will really fight for it, no matter how much we believe in it, it's not enough. At least half of this country is going to have to eventually come around to this reality. And it's why they want more than half of this country on government assistance. Because it's going to be very hard to win that person over until their assistance doesn't work anymore. And at that point, the other side of that for the tyrant is the people you have on assistance, and I'm not saying they're bad, okay? I'm just saying the people that are dependent are the ones that will cling the longest to the paradigm, and when the paradigm fails, well, they've helped you stay in power this long, but now that they've turned on you, they're completely weak. They're no threat to you. You can use them to frighten the other people. 
Look at these people rioting. This is a chess game. We have to start playing it like chess players. We need to be putting our pieces in place right now so that when this type of thing occurs, I should say if this type of thing occurs, we can stand through it. And we can help others stand through it. And we can put solutions in place as quickly as possible in our own backyards. And that's really, really important. And the real reason you know that this stuff's true, the real reason that you can listen to this and, and not think Jack's nuts is because of one fundamental fact that doesn't make any sense otherwise. The greatest thing the government currently fears is the Constitution. They've, they've vilified the Constitution. They will take an oath to uphold and defend it and turn around and label anybody that brings up the Constitution as a terrorist or a threat or a potential terrorist. We've seen over and over again these fusion centers and think tanks come out with a profile of the people that are dangerous, the Southern Poverty Law Center, etc. They always say, enamored with, in love with, devoted to the Constitution. How can you live in a society that fears its own constitution if the people in charge were actually upholding their oath to defend said constitution? They're afraid of the constitution. They're afraid of you reading it. They're afraid of you paying attention to it. They're afraid of you knowing what it means. They're afraid of you understanding how government's supposed to work. You know? They don't, they don't like those things anymore. They prefer that you understand that, you know, in the words of some of our own justices, the U.S. Constitution is kind of outdated. It's just, it's just outdated. It's, if I was, what did that one justice say? She said, if I was putting together a new constitution for a new nation, I really don't think the U.S. Constitution is where I would look for a guideline. This is a Supreme Court justice. The Constitution is feared because it would take some of our most heated debates and put them to bed if we actually looked at it. I won't bring any of them up because I don't want to derail this, but there are certain things that we socially can't agree about that if we actually followed the Constitution, whether we like them or not, we wouldn't even be able to debate them anymore. We'd just be like, okay, well, I don't like that, but that's the way it's going to be now. They don't want that. They want you divided. They want you fighting with each other. And that's why you have to start in your own backyard. Right now, it's all you have. You know, I had Patrick Barron on about Congress and defining the machine in the House of Representatives. A new congressman comes in with a bill for a hundred grand. Go, go fundraise for a hundred grand before you can do anything here. It's a party dues system. Bought and paid for. The federal government is bought and paid for, folks. The senators, the congressmen, and the president, and his, his cabinet, and the appointments to, you know, things like the USDA. I mean, you know, I'm telling you, I know that's hard to accept, but, but it, and people always say, well, careful when you say that. Why? What evidence can you provide to me that that's not the case? I can show you department of government after department of government where people have worked for the biggest corporations in that sector, gone to work for the department of government, gone back to the corporation, back and forth, back and forth. Monsanto and agriculture is not the only place. It's true in the drug company, the energy sector. It's true in every major department of government at the cabinet level. The cabinet and agency appointees have gone back and forth from the largest companies in the government, back and forth in a revolving door. It's bought And paid for. It is a plutocracy. It is a corporatocracy. You are not in control of it anymore. The dichotomy is a lie. 
There's a few issues that one side or the other will further or hold back. But it's a very few. It's a very few. When it comes down to the direction of the nation economically and politically, both sides are heading the car at the same cliff. Don't give me the old bullshit that, well, one side is heading for the cliff at a straight angle at 90 miles an hour, and the other one's at a 45-degree angle, and they're only doing 25 miles an hour, so we might as well get... No, no, they're both headlong for the cliff. Both headlong for the cliff. It doesn't even matter now. Because if they, if anybody in government at the federal level is doing anything to prevent the car from going over the cliff, they're running alongside of it, shoving it. They're not even in the car anymore. The car's done run away. It's not even a car. It's a train on tracks heading for the freaking cliff. It's going to happen. Again, I don't know how. I don't know when. I don't know exactly what it will look like. But it's the only place this type of behavior will lead you. And the only way that you can believe that we won't go over that drop at some point is to believe that the country will change its behavior significantly tomorrow. I don't think we have five years to get that done. I don't think we could do it tomorrow if we wanted to and all willed it. We might, but the suffering that will go on to fix the problem while it would be less than the eventual suffering of it coming to a head, is such that the American people no longer have a tolerance for it. We'll take this medicine only when we're about to die. I'm telling you right now, we'll only take this medicine when we're about to die. And unfortunately, some of the illness will be terminal. So you got to start in your own backyard. It's all you have. You have to build your own personal independence. You have to build your own community standing. You have to build your own social capital. You have to be, right now, working with other people so that when this crap starts to fall apart, people will work with you instead of against you. You have to be teaching your children the truth about the history of our country because your school system's not going to do it. You need to be advising your children of their constitutional rights and where they apply and where they don't apply because, yes, your child has a right to free speech but not in the middle of a history class. Okay, You need to be teaching them, yes, your right to free speech applies, but not when you're in school. It really doesn't. I'm sorry. After school, after school activities, yeah, yeah, it applies there. But your right against self-incrimination, just like the teacher from Batavia, Illinois, told us class yesterday, that applies when you're in school. You're not required to incriminate yourself. You do have a right to refuse to answer questions on a survey. You have to educate them that because the teacher does it, they want to fire them. You have to tell your, your children about the truth of this country, the good and the bad. Don't just tell them the good. Admit the bad, because if you don't, the, the people in academia will use what you've hidden from them to convince them that you lied to them, that America is an evil nation by design, instead of a dream of a nation that could be the shining hill on the city. That's what we are, folks. America is not the, sh the shining city on the hill. But with our Constitution and our intrinsic wealth, we have the potential to be that even now. But we must educate the whole of the populace. Another one of my favorite quotes. And we must begin our education with our youth. Our children must be the ones that are taught these things and know what their rights are. Not as an American, 
but as, in a human, as a human being. The rights in our Constitution do not apply only to Americans. They are considered universal human rights that your founders put in place to protect you from your own government by acknowledging that those rights existed because you existed, right? Your existence begat the right. They were rights upon birth. They were rights as a human being. And they applied universally. And we need to be telling our government, yeah, you know what? I don't care if you arrest somebody on foreign soil. These rights apply to them equally. Because doing it the other way for a hundred years has resulted in those rights no longer applying to us. Do you realize that we live in a society today where the President of the United States ordered the assassination of an American citizen abroad, yes, suspected and probably guilty of terrorist activities, that that execution was carried out and nobody did a damn thing about it. And you can say, oh, well, that was a bad guy. It doesn't work that way. And with what's coming, you better not let it continue to work that way, folks. Well, what would you have done? Let's say I really thought this guy was a freaking huge threat to the nation. And I thought extracting him or whatever would be impossible and get people killed. And I thought, this guy has to end up dead. Well, I would file a federal indictment and make my case in a court. I would send a subpoena by freaking carrier pigeon. I don't care how. I would have made it publicly known that there's a subpoena for this individual to return to the, the, the country and appear in court. Of course he wouldn't. Okay. And I would have tried him in abstentia. And I would have prevented, presented evidence, and I would have obtained a conviction. And then I would have issued a warrant, dead or alive. Well, oh, that takes too long. Gee, the Constitution's inconvenient, let's just ignore it. Talking about an American citizen here, folks. President ordered his assassination, it was done, and no one gave a shit. And in, in fact, I'll tell you, many people in this audience didn't give a shit. Still don't, because you don't get it. If it can be done to one, it can be done to all. You better get that, man, because that's the truth. We live in a society where that happened. And people go, well, yeah, it doesn't really affect me. Might someday. And one thing we need to really understand is that this nation will always be wealthy. And that means that the people in control, even if they leave, aren't really leaving. That's why they're doing things like buying our intrinsic wealth through a foreign company. And to, to really understand why there's hope and why you need to fear oppression at the same time, you need to understand why we'll always be wealthy. This nation is not wealthy because the U.S. dollar is the world's reserve currency. It allows us to flaunt our wealth and use our wealth to excess, but it's not why we're wealthy. We're wealthy because we have the Gulf of Mexico, the Atlantic Ocean, and the Pacific Ocean, all as, as, as seaports. We have the Great Lakes region, which is one of the largest reservoirs of fresh water in the world. We have, even with the damage that's been done, still some of the most fer fertile and arable farmland in the world. We have more wilderness than any other nation in the world has. We have more wilderness than they have in Africa, still left. It's not virgin wilderness, it's not primeval wilderness, but if you've ever driven across this country, you know, more than five or ten states in a clip, you've seen what I'm talking about. There's still forests everywhere. We have incredible natural resources in mines and oil, and gas, energy. With modern energy, alternative energy, we have tremendous potential to develop and exploit wind energy beyond what we've already done. We have 
huge vast areas that are pretty much barren that could be used for solar collection. So we have energy resources beyond imagination. We have a, you know, despite the fact that we've dumbed down half of the people in this country, the other half are pretty daggone educated. We have manufacturing capacity. Just because it's not being utilized doesn't mean it's not there. If you've done something once, you can do it again. We can produce food, we can produce energy, we can produce stuff. We have access to the ocean on, on three sides of the country. Actually, really kind of four with the, but not really. Okay. It's really three, three major, you know, points of access with ports all up along. I mean, the East Coast, the West Coast and the Gulf Coast. It's not like, it's like three major ports. It's three coastlines that are thousands of miles long with multiple massive ports that can bring goods in and out of the nation. And no matter what type of government you end up with, the natural resources of this country are unbelievable. Alaska alone, vastly, vastly, you know, untouched many of the resources that are there. This nation is wealthy because all wealth stems from natural systems and we have some of the best and most abundant natural systems available. And that means that the people that have lots of money and lot crave lots of power will always want to control part of us. That's the good and the bad. The good is, if we ever decide to pull our heads out of our collective asses and rebuild this country, we have a lot to work with. We have a ton to work with. If the citizenry of this country were to rise up, even 10% of us, and just say, we're going to just start fixing stuff. It wouldn't be long before it became 50. You know, if we, if we turn this nation into what I call a duocracy, since I had that one gentleman uh, from Nevada, I think it was on the show, a duocracy. People that do shit get to make decisions. People that sit around and bitch don't get to have any say in what somebody that's actively working does. We could rebuild this nation into everything that we were ever promised it could be. But if we let power continue to corrupt, if we let our citizenry continuously be abused by our own government, the dream may never be realized. I know one thing, I'll be fighting for it all the way. And I won't accept intimidation when this stuff falls apart. I won't stop talking. I won't shut up. I won't go away. And I plan on doing it so much between then and now that I'll be one of the hardest people to get rid of. And if you're afraid, don't be afraid. Be bold. Stand up. Speak. Act. Be. Do. It's easy to intimidate people when they're not really well known. When they're just budding. Once a person's entrenched and ingrained and known and, and, and got their, their, their message out there and you can't just make them shut up with a threat gets a lot harder and we need not just one or two or three of us we need thousands of americans that won't shut up that won't go away that won't take their medicine uh from the government that'll take their medicine from themselves that'll challenge themselves that'll set new goals new heights build new businesses build new communities change the paradigm and stop playing their stop playing their game and start making our own rules for our own game. We need people to stop even saying, you know what, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. And start saying, I'm not even asking for forgiveness. I'm just going to get shit done. And if there's something in my way, I'm either going around it, under it, through it. Or I'm going to just move to where that thing isn't anymore. 
We need more and more people deciding we've had enough of a, the most oppressive parts of this country. And while there's no part that's as free as it should be, I'm going to pick a part that's a hell of a lot freer. And I'm going to go there and start building shit so when this falls apart, we have something there. And it, when you know, I said I'm no threat yesterday. But the reality is, to a lot of politicians, I'm a big threat. Not me personally, but the words that I speak and the ideas that I convey. Because it makes you question authority, it makes you question power, and it makes you question your need for all of its authority and power. They say they want to keep us safe. Well, friends, I want to keep us free. To me, it's more important to be free than safe. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Nobody up there cares, they're living for today.